we come to the one who is risen. He is the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead, the God of the living. I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. I ask that you stand with me as we would pray and we would read from God's holy word. Father, we ask that what we have not, that you would give to us. What we know not, you would make known to us. And that it would be done for the glory of Christ and Christ alone. Amen. This is what God says to us today. And when you pray, you must not act like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. And in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. As we've been going through the discipline of prayer, and we've seen within the Lord's Prayer that there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer that serve as a guide for our private and public times of prayer. The first three are towards God. The first three go towards God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The next three, which we'll deal with today, are towards man, about us praying for our own needs, our daily bread, forgiveness, and temptation. Let's deal first with our daily bread. Verse 11 says this, Give us this day our daily bread. So you can imagine as Jesus, as he was sitting there teaching his disciples, give us this day our daily bread, their minds as good Jewish boys probably went back to the time of the Exodus and God giving manna from heaven. That's what they would understand daily bread because God gave it on a daily basis. Day by day, you receive your manna. Collect only what you need. And on Friday, collect a double portion to get you through the Sabbath. If you collect any more, it's going to be full of worms. And the Bible tells us there was one guy who tried it, a few people, and they collected more. They were greedy, and it became spoiled and full of worms. God literally, day by day, daily gave the children of Israel their daily bread. And this must have been in the mind of the disciples. The word daily, epiosis, on each day, daily or Daily substance. There's a problem with the word, though. In the Greek language, this is the only place that that word is found. So we're assuming that the biblical writers made up the word. Um, so what does it really mean? Give us this day our daily bread? It depends on when the time of day you were praying. If you were praying in the morning, give us this day our daily bread. If you were praying at night, it would mean give us tomorrow, give us our bread for tomorrow. The idea is still the same, that I have a need today. And if it's at night, I have a need tomorrow. The word bread here is John Stott, the late John Stott, says this, bread was a symbol for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, 
children, good government, and peace. And probably we should add that by bread, Jesus meant the necessities rather than the luxuries of life. Jesus said, when he asked to pray, he says, pray like this, Lord, give me what I need today. Whatever that may mean. Bread represented a whole host of things. Lord, I need patience today. Lord, I need whatever it would be. I need food today, Lord. There's people who actually live by praying, God, I need daily bread today. I need medication today, Lord God. I, whatever it would be. You understand? The necessities of life. I need clothing today. I need this. I need all that I need to live today. That's what he meant. It's not wrong to ask God for those things. Because when we acknowledge God as our provider, we acknowledge God as our provider when we ask for daily bread. We're, we're understanding what it means to say our Father in heaven. That you are sovereign, you are our provider, you're the creator. And we also understand by asking for that, we also know and believe in the doctrine of providence. Providence simply means that God has provided beforehand. Before we ever ask, God already knew what we needed, and God has made a way for that to be provided to us. The question is whether we like what God provides or not. Right? Whether I, I like what God provides or not. I may be very used to New York strip steak, but God may provide McDonald's. Right? I may be very used to Saks Fifth Ave, but God's going to provide Walmart. Are we going to be happy with what God provides? I mean, praise God if it's strip steaks every day. Don't get me wrong. That would be wonderful. No offense to any vegetarians out there. <laughs> the late James Boyce, I think rightly, also says this. This part of the prayer also teaches us that if we live as God intends us to live, we are to live one day at a time. That is, we are not to be anxious about the unknown future or to fret about it. We are to live in a moment-by-moment -moment dependence upon God. Isn't that really true? Does that mean I don't make any plans for the future? That I don't uh, plan out four, five, ten years from now? Of course we should. It'd be wisdom to do it. Does not even James tell us? Hey, I'm going to go do business. And I'll come back in a year from now. Really, we say, Lord, if it's your will, I will do daily, I will do this, 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 and this. But we really are, do we really realize that we are dependent upon God moment by moment, not even to a greater degree than that. Second by second, we are dependent upon God. Because God, we've said it before, that's from God. That is from God. We are literally dependent upon God. The book of Job says if he were to remove his spirit, all flesh would die. We are dependent upon God, whether we realize it or not, and live in such a way that we're not groveling every, oh God, please, oh God, please, every moment. That's not what he's saying. We can trust and rest in the promises of God. But do we realize, do we take for granted that there's food in the refrigerator, there's gas in the tank, that's becoming a little today, right? But do we take for granted? Do we not fail to even acknowledge that, God, you provided this? Remember what God told the children of Israel when they go into a land and they become rich and they have this. He goes, listen, don't forget that when you go into the land and you possess houses and you become rich, 
You remember who it is who gave you the ability to work. Yeah, you worked hard. Yes, your money brought. But it was through the physical ability of God to give you to work and provide for yourself. It all will go back to God somehow. We should never pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, I'm a good provider. I'm good. I'm a great provider. Well, you may be good with your money, but God gave you the ability to provide. God is the good provider. God is the one who gives daily bread. And so we live moment by moment. If we really believe that God is going to provide all that I need for this life, the physical life, and the spiritual life, then I live in a moment-by-moment dependence upon God. Remember, we read it this morning, part of it this morning. Remember what Jesus said just a few verses later in the book. Verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Well, how many of us worry about that? How many of us say, I have nothing to wear? Right? Meanwhile, you've got a closet full of clothes. Now, I am not making a statement on marriage or husbands and wives there. You take that to yourself. But if you ever wonder, i got really nothing to wear. No, we got plenty to wear. We got plenty to eat. For the Gentiles, the pagans, the unbelievers seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus, again, is telling us, by living moment by moment, trusting on God, saying, I admit that you're sovereign, you're my Father, and I'm concerned about your kingdom and your will. You'll take care of everything else. But there's also the aspect, even though the actual meaning is the daily provisions of my physical being, that we should not neglect the fact that we should ask God for Jesus, the daily bread. For Jesus is our daily bread. Matthew 4.4, Jesus says to Satan, who tempted him with bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says also in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. Guess what? You and I are going to eat wonder bread, if that's what you like, and we're going to die. Jesus is talking about a better bread. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And I could see Jesus go, this, me, I am the bread of life. And so we ask God that when I come to you, Lord, and I come to you in prayer, and I come acknowledging who you are, acknowledging my needs, and I come to you with my Bible open, hopefully, and Lord, I need my spiritual nourishment today. Would you make yourself known to me? Can I hear you today? We sing the song, Speak, O Lord. Listen to again what it says. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today. In our acts of love and our deeds of faith, speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility, 
Test our thoughts and attitudes and the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. Speak, O Lord. Renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace will stand on your promises. And by faith will walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. That should be a prayer that we have when we come to the Lord. That, yeah, I need this. I need these physical things, God. I absolutely need them. But more than that, I need the truth of your word planted in my heart. I need my mind renewed so that I can discern and understand what is the good and pleasing, perfect will of God. That is better than anything else. Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord says, the other priority is to forgive us our debts. I'd almost think it would be backwards, wouldn't you? Think Jesus almost has the order wrong. Be more concerned about forgiving our debts and then worrying about everything else. But Jesus says, ask about your needs. Ask about a greater need, the forgiveness of debts. Again, verse 12, and forgive us our debts. Forgive, ephimai, to remove guilt resulting from wrongdoing. And that is the proper definition. The Greek lexicon, which is the standard throughout, whether um, biblical scholarship or secular scholarship, also goes on to say this. It is extremely important to note that the focus in the meaning of aphenime is upon the guilt of the wrongdoer and not upon the wrongdoing itself. The event of wrongdoing is not undone, but the guilt resulting from such an event is parted. To forgive, therefore, means essentially to remove the guilt resulting from wrongdoing. That's really what it means. To ask God, yeah, God, I have sinned. I have done wrong. I am guilty. I feel guilty. I am overwhelmed with guilt. Remove my guilt from me. And you know what? In Christ Jesus, that is exactly what God has done. I can't go back and undo my sinning. You can't go back and undo your sinning. It's there. Can't undo it. But the resulting guilt of it, the Lord wipes away. He takes it away. As the psalmist says in Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. In other words, he's not reminding you. He's not keeping you guilty, not telling you, yeah, you messed up. He pardons you fully and completely. The record is wiped clean. And therefore we know that when books are open in heaven and it comes to the time to give an account for your life, when I give an account for my life and there's books that are open, there's books for the unsaved and books for the saved, the Bible tells us. I'm convinced that the books of the saved those who have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, the pages are white, there's nothing written in it, it's my name. Boom, 
Or perhaps the words not guilty, pardoned, covered in Christ, imputed righteousness. That's what's going to be ours. No guilt. The old hymn says this, that the vilest defender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Guilt. Guilt is a burden of pure despair. It gives no hope, no ability to be free, forever chained to the past. And we can put ourselves in that own prison, never taking our thoughts captive to the truth of Christ, that I've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. But we also live in a world in which people will always remind us. They may say they forgive you, but they're always telling you how wrong you are, what you've done. You'll never, ever get over it. That is, a, that is hell. That is a horrible way to live. If you live under that, this is so important in marriages and in relationships. If you forgive, forgive. Let it go. It may be hard. It may be hard. But God has set us free. In Christ Jesus from the burden of guilt. If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. How do you become free? Well, you confess your sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've done that, have you done that? Have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and asked for the forgiveness of your sins? If you haven't, you're under your sins. You bear your guilt. But if you have, the guilt is removed. It's gone. You bear it no more. It was was put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in the Old Testament, they would take the goat And Aaron, the priest, or the high priest today, would put his hands on that goat's head and he would confess his own sins, confess the sins of the nation. And then they would send that goat out into the desert. And it would never be seen again. It was gone. It was removed as far as the east is from the west. Thank God he didn't say from the north to the south. Because you can only go east. And you can only go west. You'll never stop going east or west, but you can end up going north or south. From the east, as far as, as far as the east is from the west, there is. God sees nothing of it. His sea of forgetfulness, our sins have gone into. Our guilt has gone into. And that's what allows us to draw near to the throne of God. Hebrews 10, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That's guilt. And our bodies washed with pure water. The Word of God. When we come to God, we can come boldly because we can say, you know what? I have a right to be here because of Jesus Christ. And I come clean. 100% clean. Not guilty. Not guilty by the declaration of Jesus Christ. Is that how you come to God? 
Are you under a load of guilt today? Take your thoughts captive. Give them to Christ. His blood has washed it clean. You have to believe that, loved ones. If you live in a, in a, in a, in a, in a where you are never by others freed from your guilt, that is horrible. But when you hear that, go into your closet and go before the Lord. So help me to know. Help me to feel the truth of who I am before the Lord Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, one declaration is going to matter. In the day of judgment, it's what Christ says about you. It's the only thing that's going to ever matter in life. Yeah, these things are hurt. We've got to get through them. Jesus was accused of a lot of things. Paul, was, Paul never got over the fact that he murdered Christians. But yet he pressed on. He knew. He actually says, I thank God that he appointed me faithful to a service even though I was once He says of the Corinthians, he has a whole list of horrible sins. He goes, and such were some of you. But what? Christ Jesus is the difference. He's taken it away. No longer, you're no longer what you were. You are a new creation in Christ. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. Do you live in the newness of Christ? You struggle with the guilt of your sins. We sing the song before the throne of God above. And it says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because my sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon So what does forgiveness look like? What really is forgiveness? Forgiving and forgetting? No, we can't forget. That's impossible. Tim Keller wrote an article. We'll send the link to all of you. I think you would benefit greatly from this article about what then is forgiveness. Listen very closely. Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. Listen to this. But it must be recognized that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. What does that mean? Think about how monetary debts work. If a friend breaks my lamp, and if the lamp costs $50 to replace, then the act of lamp breaking incurs a debt of $50. If I let him pay for and replace the lamp, I get my lamp back, and he's out $50. But if I forgive him for what he did, and the debt does not somehow, the debt does not somehow vanish into thin air. When I forgive him, I absorb the cost and payment for the lamp. I will pay the $50 to replace it, or I will lose the lighting in the room. To forgive is to cancel a debt by paying it or absorbing it yourself. Someone always pays every debt. Why, that is true. Christ absorbed the debt of our sin. The demands of holiness were met By God himself. He took it, and he's not telling you 
Remember what you did? Oh, yeah, we've got to see if we can get through. I don't know. I don't think I can ever forgive you. He absorbs the sin, and we are called. The Scriptures tells us, forgive us our debts. Christ absorbed the cost in his own life. Not counting men's sins against them, the Scripture says. Jesus says, pray that our debts, our guilt, our sins would be forgiven. But then he adds this. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Ooh. Wouldn't it have been great if he stopped at the first part? As we also have forgiven our debtors. Well, now that we know what forgiveness is, Absorbing a cost. Not reminding somebody of it. Are we truly able to forgive? You know, the power of releasing somebody. Change their world. Changes your world. To keep somebody forever guilty. To not forgive doesn't necessarily put the person who did the wrong in a prison. It keeps you in a prison. You're the one who has to always grudging that, always holding that, never letting it go. It's eating at you. It's destroying your soul. If indeed you're not forgiven. But Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, The Sermon on the Mount, writes this, Do this. Forgive others. Do it for the health of your soul. Do it for the health of the church, which is sick from a lack of forgiveness among God's children. Boy, that's true. Christians are some of the most easily offended people within a church. Oh, he didn't say hi to me on Sunday. Therefore, I'm leaving the church. That happens. Well, it Over the most like, really? Like, wait, I didn't even know that. I didn't even see you. I didn't even know what happened. But, and we hold things. He says, do it for the sake of the world, which has not yet discovered what Christ is like. But it can if you and I will truly forgive, for to forgive is divine. Jesus, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, writes this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We need to take those very seriously. By harbor against somebody, unwilling to let them go, unwilling to absorb the cost which in comparison to what has happened to Christ, is minor. I'm not saying horrific things haven't happened to people. They have. But in comparison to what has happened to Christ, it's minor. Paul says it's not worth comparing to the glory of which we will have in Christ Jesus. He says, if you don't forgive, don't expect forgiveness from your Father. Because we're called, as we learned in Sunday school today, to emulate our Father. 
We're called to be a disciple, to walk in His shoes, to be like Him. And if we can't forgive when He forgave us all of our sins, then count them against us. If we understand that we've been fully and freely forgiven, I think about the woman caught in adultery and all the men standing around her condemning her to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say a word to them. Finally, he says, you who without sin cast the first stone. The Bible says, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, they left. And there's this woman who's been caught red-handed Standing there. I can imagine just the, the public shame and everything. I just, I just, just, it's horrific. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. Neither do I condemn you. Can you imagine what went over her soul in hearing those words? But then he says, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. How dare we withhold forgiveness from somebody else? And sometimes the cost is a little, and sometimes the cost will be really high. But he says, forgive as I forgave you. If you don't, there's no forgiveness. There's no Forgiveness. Scripture is clear. The words of Christ are clear. There's no way we can say, well, I think it means no. I will not forgive you. Let's look again at the definition of forgiveness. Remember, it is extremely important to know that the focus of the meaning of phenomy is upon the guilt of the wrongdoer and not upon the wrongdoing itself. The event of wrongdoing is not undone. It's there. It's the records there. It's not going to be changed. But the guilt resulting from such an event is pardon. To forgive, therefore, means essentially to remove the guilt resulting from the wrongdoing. And it continues. Will that?
There we go. There we go. There we go. All right, let me read that again just for the sake of the video. Therefore, to forgive sins is literally to forgive guilt. Though terms forgiveness are literally to wipe out, to blot out, or to do away with, it is obviously not possible to blot out or wipe out an event, but it is possible to remove or obliterate guilt. You and I have the power to set people free from the wrong that they've done to us. And it may cost. It absorbs the cost. But that's what it takes to be like Jesus. Absorb the cost. Absorb the cost. If we truly love people, that's what we'll do for them. What does, love, what does the Bible say about love? 1 Corinthians 13, a famous passage of love. Love is patient and kind. We've probably lost right there, right? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is or resentful. In other words, keeps not, well, look, here's my spelling, no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. Do you have a checklist for people in your life? You always in your mind going back to whenever they slightly or whatever, yeah, this, here it is, here it is, here it is, and it may be. How do you come alongside somebody and help them? How do you bring them to Christ and say, hey, this is an issue. Let's deal with it. You're not letting Christ come and help you here. Can I walk with you? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We need to be careful. We need to be serious about forgiveness. To not remove guilt is to hate your brother. 1 John 2.9 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Self-deceived. Or 1 John 4.20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you feel unforgiven, if you're dealing today with guilt, if it's something you deal with, what I believe is a great source of depression for people, understand that God does not hold you guilty if you've truly confessed your sins. If you are holding somebody to their past, not granting them forgiveness, understand where you stand. You are not standing in the forgiveness of God. He's made it clear. So if you're guilty today, if you feel that today, accept the freedom that God gives you. If you're holding somebody, let them free for the sake of Christ and for the sake of your own soul. And finally, the third petition for man is lead us not and deliver us from. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptation, perimasos, enticement that has the goal to cause one to sin. Enticement that has the goal to cause one to sin. 
That's one definition. The majority of the definitions within Scripture are a test or trial of the validity of one's faith. We're not, we cannot say, God is tempting me. Bible tells us very clearly, James chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. So to say, Lord, lead me not into temptation, is not saying, God, don't tempt me, because God does not tempt us. My understanding, as far as I understand, one person has ever actually been driven by the Holy Spirit into a desert to be tempted. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it on our behalf. He was tempted and withstood the test so that you and I wouldn't. But are we being tested? Oh, we can be tested, yes. Again, R. Kent Hughes, I think, wisely says, Thus the meaning of lead us not into temptation Temptation is simply, Do not allow us to come under the sway of temptation that will overpower us and cause us to sin. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, Listen, no temptation has overcome you, which is common to man, that the Lord will make a way of escape. You ever been in a situation where you feel like, Man, ah... I'm either going to lose it, I'm going to look at something, I'm going to say something, whatever it would be. In that moment, God has provided a way out. I've often failed not to take it, so no, but often I would say, the way out, get out the room, leave the room, get out. It's an actual door. That's what I have found. It may be wise to get out. When we are being tested, though, and we are, our faith will be tested, the world will come against us. The world will entice us to leave the things of God, to say it's okay to compromise. When we're faith with that, faced with that, James, again, is a great help to us. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, temptations of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That is if we stand the test. All right, I'm going to stand the test. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was the man tempted as we are in every way. It wasn't just tempted in the desert. Yes, he was, by the devil himself. But I'm sure Jesus had other testings. We're, just not, we're not told everything about Jesus. John tells us if we knew everything about Jesus, the world could not contain the books. We don't know all of Jesus' life, everything that he happened, all the people that he healed, all the people that he didn't heal. We don't know it all. We have to assume that through his ministry on earth, he was also a man. He was the God-man, but he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He stood the test. He fulfilled the mandate of Adam on our behalf. We are going to be tested. The Bible says, count it all joy. Because God is doing something. God is empowering you. We should know that we can stand the test, the trial. Because if we really believe that God is our Father, 
We really believe that God is sovereign of the universe. If I'm really concerned about His kingdom and His will, and I know that He's called me, I know that He's forgiven me, and He has a purpose for me, then I can say with surety, as Paul said about the church in Philippi, this, and I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus, that when I am in the midst of temptation, I am not standing there alone. That I have my Heavenly Father. I have the Holy Spirit standing there with me, empowering me, and strengthening me to stand firm. And then when I, the more that I have the Word of God in me, the more I strive to live a whole life, that after having done all that I can do to stand, I am just to stand firm, therefore. And sometimes it might be just a constant battle, taking the blows. But in the end, if we stand firm, Christ is glorified. Lead me not into temptation. Lord, let me not become so tempted that I fall. Well, if we're in His hand and we're truly His child, I can't fall. I can't fall to the point that there's no return. I may fall, but I will never fall to the point of no return. But I will also not make a habit of sinning. Because if I make a habit of sinning, then I belong to my father, the devil. It says, deliver us from temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Of course, the evil one is who? It's Satan himself. I'm within the territory of the evil one, whereas I just quoted 1 John 3, 8, for whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But if I'm to be delivered from evil, I need to know that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. If he's the evil one, he's come to destroy the works of the evil one, I've been called by name. I'm in his hand. He's strengthening me and empowering me as his child. I will never fall sway to the evil one. I will never become part of his kingdom. I understand what Christ has done for me, as it says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what do I do in a moment of temptation? Lord, I'm being tempted. Deliver me from the evil one, God. What do I do? James 4 tells us, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and we will flee from you. Well, how do I do that in a moment if I've not been living a life that I should? If I've been living a life of compromise, I can't suddenly in the moment of temptation submit myself to God and the devil's going to flee. No, I have to have a practice, a life behind me of submitting myself to the Lord. I often tell the young people, and I'll tell you today, the decision of sex or not sex is not made in the backseat of the car. It's made long before that. Any of us, any temptation for us, any sin, the decision not to is made long before, not in a moment. Because if you wait till the moment, chances are you will fall. You will not stand that test. 
Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Martin Luther writes in the song, A mighty fortress is our God. You know, it's the devil's scary. He's the, he is the most powerful spiritual being outside of God himself. And even his power is nothing. But compared to us, he has a lot of power. He's been granted to him by God. So to sit there and say, if you want to be some, in the name of Jesus, I cast you out, Satan. Please stop that foolishness. Just stop it. Live a life that pleases God. He's going to want to get in. But if you have no gaps in the wall, he's not going to get in. What do we do? We can certainly pray that God would put a hedge around us. Today, God, you would protect me from the evil one. Protect my family. Watch over my wife and my kids. Watch over my church, Lord God. Let not the evil one have sway. God answers that prayer. But when he does come against us, when temptation is raging and, and, and the, the temptation to sin is there, I like what Martin Luther says, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. Listen, don't be more afraid of the devil than you are of God. His rage we can endure. Why? For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That's the word of Jesus Christ. In order to make sure that I'm delivered from the evil one, we need to do as Paul says to the church in Philippi. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I got a part to do. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the second three petitions. Father, I, I need today. There's stuff I need today. God, I need my guilt removed. Help me to know that my guilt is removed. Help me to not keep others hostage in guilt. Help me not to fall under the sway of the evil one so as to fall. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask you as the people of Bible Baptist Church that we would keep your name holy, that we would be concerned about your kingdom and not our own that your will would be done and not our own, that we would look to you for our daily needs, that we would embrace the freedom from guilt that you give to your children, and that we would not withhold forgiveness for those who ask us. We ask, Lord God, that we would be delivered from the evil one. We ask this for the glory of the name of Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Let's close in a song. I invite you to stand as we sing the doxology to our God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise
is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you all.